When I was younger, a young boy, I didn't like Protestants very much. I didn't know why. Uh, I had no reason to. Uh, no Protestant had ever done anything to me to make me dislike them, to be honest with you. I don't think I really knew what a Protestant was. All I knew was that I was supposed to dislike them. All I knew was that they weren't Catholic like I was, and because of that, I was supposed to treat them differently. Now, that wasn't the official line of the Catholic Church. It was an attitude that had developed within the Catholic community where I grew up, a small section of it. Now, that that I've just described for you is something called prejudice. When you choose to judge people who aren't like you, based on some generalization that you have formed, and when you harbor negativity or even hostility and dislike towards a person or a group of people, you're prejudiced. Now, when you hold prejudices against people, you tend to do two things. You separate yourself from them. One of the things from my younger days that really sticks in my mind is the walk to school. All the kids who went to Broxburn Academy, I've given it away now, all the kids that went to Broxburn Academy walked on the left-hand side of the roads. All the people that went to Our Lady's High School walked on the other side of the roads. I'm not, there's no guessing which one's the Catholic church, uh, the Catholic school, right? But if you, so you separate yourself Second thing that you do is if you come into contact with them, you treat them differently. When the football match was played, when the rivalry was fierce, the the tackles flew in a way that they didn't with any other game. It's a bit like Celtic and Rangers. Now, prejudice like that, when you separate yourself from a certain people or you treat them differently if you do come into contact with them that kind of prejudice was prevalent it was it was there and it was very real in first century judaism the time that we're looking at in our bibles tonight the jews at that time held very strong views many of them not all many of them held very strong views about people who were not jewish like that like them And because of that, they tried to separate themselves from them or they tried to treat them differently. Why? Well, there was was some kind of theological misinterpretation. They hadn't read their Bibles properly, basically. They believed that they were God's chosen race, and they were. Genesis 12, 1 to 3 is one of the most important passages in your Bible. You should know it. Genesis 12, uh, Genesis 12 shows us that out of all the nations, God chose Israel to be his own. But Israel misunderstood, many of them misunderstood the very reason, God's purpose in choosing them. It wasn't to create some kind of super clique from which everyone else would be excluded. It was to make them into a super family through whom everyone else could be included. He chose them not because they were his favorite, but so that all peoples on earth would be blessed through them. All peoples. 
all peoples. All. A-L-L. All. You get the message? <laughs> all. But Israel forgot that. John Stott writes beautifully. They twisted the doctrine of election into a doctrine of favoritism. Brilliant. That's exactly what they did. And as a result, they looked on people and nations around them, not as people to be blessed, but as dogs to be avoided. They were unclean. They separated themselves from them rather than seeking to bless them. Now, that's the context Peter grew up in. Just as the subtle sectarian traditions of West Lothian had rubbed off on me, there's no doubt that the traditions of Peter's own culture had rubbed off on him. And that's a problem. It's a serious problem when you come to the book of Acts. Because how can the ends of the earth be reached if Peter is prejudiced against the nations that belong to the ends of the earth? How can the ends of the earth be reached if Peter is prejudiced against unclean Gentile dogs? Prejudice, in other words, seriously hinders the mission to make disciples. Seriously. And we need to recognize that too. Before we get into the text, let me ask you the question. Are there certain kinds of people that you might be prejudiced against? Maybe because of their social class. Maybe because of their backgrounds. Maybe because of their religion or their race. We need to realize just how serious a problem that is and how much of a hindrance it is to our mission. What will God do then to change Peter, to change us? Well, God shows us very clearly in this passage from 9.32 to 11.18 that God does not show favoritism. He's not a racist. He is not prejudiced. Not one little bit. And here's your two points for tonight if you're taking notes. Number one, God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. And number two, we must therefore be indiscriminate in preaching the gospel of grace. You with me? Good. Number one, God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. I love the fact that God demonstrates this by showing Peter exactly what he needs to see. As I said uh, in the preamble to the Bible reading earlier, Peter had been placed by God sovereignly in the right kind of places. Demonstrated to be God man, God's man by the healing miracles. Very like Jesus' miracles, weren't they? Raising the dead. Healing the lame man. It's all to draw attention. Oh yeah, through that healing. Hey, come over to Joppa. Why does he need to be in Joppa? Why this reference to staying, staying at Simon the Tanner's house? How come he gets a special reference in there? It's all to show us that God is sovereignly positioning Peter because he's already sovereignly in another situation working on Cornelius to bring them together for a remarkable event. But while Peter is there in Joppa on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house, and you know what a tanner is? A tanner is someone who worked with animal skins. So he was probably up on the roof praying and he was probably surrounded by skins which really made Simon the Tanner unclean. He was a Jewish believer. So Peter, it seemed at this point, was happy enough to go into the home of someone who had a kind of Judaistic background, but had professed faith in Jesus, but not quite, as we'll see later, ready to go into the home of a Gentile. But there he is, 
having his quiet time on the roof and he gets hungry. That happens to me sometimes. Does that happen to you? And, and he is praying and the Lord shows him a vision. Verse 11 of chapter 10, look at it with me. Peter saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down by its four corners. It contained all kinds of animals basically and a voice told him, get up, kill and eat. Now we're not that used to dietary restrictions unless you count post-Christmas fat burner programs or gluten-free diets. But those dietary restrictions are are really to preserve good health. But for the Jews, their dietary restrictions were intended to preserve holiness. They believed holy food marked them out as holy people. But it just became another thing to take pride in. But God is, is starting to deconstruct and challenge Peter's traditions. And it's not hard to see why. Because if he separates himself from people because of what he, he eats, how is he going to be able to build relationships with them to provide something of a platform for hospitality or for a conversation about Jesus in the hope that people might believe the gospel and be saved for themselves? So he's given this vision of the sheet lowered down before him. Get up, kill and eat. Now, if there was an annual award for putting your foot in your mouth and saying inappropriate things, Peter would, Peter would win it three years in a row, wouldn't he? Surely not, Lord, he says. That is a contradiction in terms, if ever I heard one. Surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean, he said. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And just to get the message across, this happened How many times? Three. Yeah. That's fairly typical of Peter as well, isn't it? Meanwhile, as Peter tries to untangle the meaning of this vision, three men arrive at the door looking for him, and God shows him that he is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace, not only by showing him this vision, but by taking him to see a Gentile, a non-Jew. Look with me at verses 1 to 8 of chapter 10. We're going back the way. Meet Cornelius. He, not only is he a Gentile, by the God really picked a cracker here. Not only is he a Gentile, he's a Roman centurion. That's a, that's a double blow, a double <laughs> barrier for, for Peter to leap. Roman soldiers, of course, had been renowned for their brutality towards the Jews. If ever there was a little inkling of a rise of, of a kind of patriotic revolution or rebellion, then the Romans would stamp out in no uncertain terms. But verse 3 tells us that this Cornelius saw a vision as well, a vision of an angel who said, send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He gives us his address and everything. And he does what he's told, and isn't God's time imperfect? Just as Peter is sitting on the roof, wondering about this vision, Cornelius' men arrive. And the interesting thing here in verse 19 about what happens, what does the Spirit say? The Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, speaking, says to Simon, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. He doesn't quite know that he's going to be told to go to the house of a Gentile. But what is interesting here is that when the Spirit says to him, do not hesitate to go, you could happily change the phrase do not hesitate to the words 
do not discriminate. Do not discriminate. And the same phrase is repeated three times in the threefold retelling of the story. We're meant to get this. They're about to invite you to the house of a Roman centurion. Don't discriminate, Peter. Get going. Now, I often wonder what Peter expected to find as he walked along the road with these guys going up to Cornelius' house. What will these dogs do when he arrives? Well, it must have been a massive surprise to him in verse 26 to find that when Peter arrives there, Cornelius falls at his feet in reverence. He had gathered his family and close friends to meet Peter too. I've gathered everybody. You are coming. (laughs) I've gathered everybody together, ready to hear what the Lord has told you to say to us. And you still get the impression that Peter's really trying to figure out everything that's going on. Verse 28 says, You're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. May I ask why you sent for me? So he's got half the message. He just doesn't quite know what's going on. Until Cornelius then recounts his vision of the angel and says to Peter in verse 33, Now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then look with me at verse 36 to 48 of chapter 10. I mean, this must be one of the most amazing evangelistic opportunities ever. How easy was God making this for Peter? Cornelius has been prepped by an angel. Send for the evangelist. (laughs) It's brilliant. Send for a guy who's going to tell you all about Jesus. He falls at his feet in reverence. That's never happened to me when I've gone to share the gospel with anyone. He's begging Peter to please tell me the good news by which I can be saved. It's brilliant. And he's brought his family and friends to hear it as well. Isn't that a dream? There is only one thing that could have deterred Peter from sharing the gospel right there. Prejudice. But God shows Peter, putting all the pieces together, that he does not show favoritism. That God is not prejudiced when it comes to the offer of grace. It's not just for one nation, it's for all. And God is deadly serious about it. Look at verses 34 to 35 with me. Peter says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. Peter gets it. It finally clicks. God does not show favoritism. That's a discovery we all need to make too if we are going to be effective at reaching our city and the nations with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we are to be stirred up to do, is it not? And that's why I asked the question and ask it again. Are you prejudiced against a certain type of person? Do you have any prejudices that put up barriers between us and unbelievers who are different from us? From what kind of person do we find that we almost instinctively distance ourselves? 
if God was to give you a vision similar to Peter's, what would be in your sheet? Maybe it's a burqa. Because you're quietly prejudiced against Muslims. Well, that's going to stop you going to Yemen. And people in Yemen desperately, desperately need to hear the gospel. Maybe it's a rainbow flag. Because you're quietly prejudiced against gay people. Well, that's a problem. Because people who call themselves homosexual desperately, desperately need to hear the gospel. Maybe it's a tweed jacket with elbow patches. Because you're quietly prejudiced against posh people. That's a problem. Because wealthy, materialistic people that drive Audis and Porsches and Mercedes need desperately to hear the gospel. Maybe it's an EU flag because you're quietly prejudiced against immigrants. That's a problem. Because people from every nation need to hear the gospel. Maybe you're quietly prejudiced against the poor. Maybe it would be a benefits check in the sheet. Well, that's a problem. Because people who are poor desperately need to hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We need to repent of these mindsets. Because it does not matter what race a person belongs to, what social bracket they fit into. It doesn't matter what gender they are, what religion they are, what sexual orientation they are. God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. All people everywhere. He means it. And the people he will use to reach all people of all orientations and backgrounds and everything, it's us. It's no one else. No one else is going to do it. It's us. Other churches will do it. But it's us. Anyone from any nation, from any background, is acceptable to God when they turn to faith in Jesus. This is what he's showing Peter. God was changing him from being a product of his culture then to being a man, really a man of the kingdom. And that's what we should be. That's what the believers in Jerusalem learned in chapter 11 after hearing Peter's explanation of these events. Verse 18 says the believers, they had no further objections. They had objections. Hang on a minute. I know Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, but you were in the house of a Roman centurion? Right, somebody get me a seat. I'm going to faint. You know, what was it like? What did you think? Well, this is the difficulty of our prejudices. They can be so ingrained. And yet so wrong. They had no further objections, verse 18 of chapter 11. 
and praised God, saying, there's a turnaround for you. So then God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. They're loving it. They start to get it. And that's what we need to learn. So the question is, practically, are we mixing with people who are different from us? Are we teaching our children to do that? How can you do that? Well, it's quite simple, really. Pull out a map. Use Operation World. Start talking about different countries, different nations, different backgrounds. Tell them what it's like to live in that way. And the way they live, wherever they are. This is a multi-ethnic church in lots of different ways. Some of the sweetest times of fellowship that I've had in my house with my kids has been when I've had people from different backgrounds and we've explored, what's that like? What's it like coming from where you come from? How do you, what's it like being a child growing up in, in that area? It's a phenomenal thing to do. Taught me a lot, teaches all a lot, including our children. But how are we spending our time? Who are we spending our time with? Well, it's wonderful to see. God is supernaturally and sovereignly at work to prepare the hearts of people from every background and every nation to hear the gospel. He is indiscriminate in his offer of grace. It's a glorious thing, right? It's a brilliant thing to see. It's got to be glorious and brilliant to you or else you would not have heard it. That's why Acts 10 is so significant. So significant. But this is why as the second point goes, we must be indiscriminate in proclaiming it. That's the second point. Peter gets it and then proclaims it. That's what he does. Because people need to hear it. Let's face it, Cornelius, he's described in this text in a very interesting way, isn't he? To the point that it's led some people as they've explored this to think, well, I wonder if this guy's actually a Christian, really? In a weird kind of way? No. He was a God-feeder, but he wasn't saved from God's wrath. Cornelius was good and respectable, maybe a lot like our friends round about us. Maybe, but he's looking for God, but his sins were not yet forgiven. Now this passage, I want to stress, does not teach that morally accept, respectable people can go to heaven who, O oh Lord, can save themselves. Their own soul could heal. None. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not of yourselves. It's a gift. A gift. And that's not what Peter is saying either in verses 34 to 35 when he says God accepts men from every nation who do what is right. The emphasis in that passage, in that sentence is on the in every nation. People from every nation, in other words, every background, every ethnicity who put their trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Those are the ones who are saved. I mean, if, that, if it was the case that you could be that morally respectable people could go to heaven, then there'd be no need to tell Cornelius the gospel. No need to tell him about Jesus. No need to specify in verse 43 about the need for forgiveness of sins. And of course, in chapter 11, verse 14, it's explained that the message Peter would bring was the means by which Cornelius would be saved. So he's not saved. Read carefully. The text explains it. Don't be misled. Conversion, that was my daughter, it's okay. Conversion only happens in connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Crystal clear, crystal clear. Conversion only happens in connection with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we need to be indiscriminate in proclaiming it. What do they need to hear? This core message of the gospel, verse 36. Jesus, through Jesus, there is peace.
peace with God. The good news of peace through Jesus Christ. Peace in what way? Like we're just going to be a little bit more relaxed, not anxious anymore. No, peace with God. Because we who are at enmity with him, there's hostility between us. Now God overcomes that to change our hearts by his spirit to draw us to himself. He declares peace over us where once there was wrath. That's the glory of the gospel. How is that possible? Through the death of his son who absorbed all the penalty that, was, that made us deserving of that wrath. He took it on himself when he died on the cross all those years ago so that we who believe in him might be clothed in his righteousness. God gives to us the very thing he demands of us, righteousness. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Just like that. It's beautiful. And this peace with God, the the core message of the gospel is peace with God and Jesus is Lord of all. A-L-L. All. Not just Jesus is Lord of Israel. Jesus is Lord over all things. Jesus is Lord of all. All. He is God's. Reigns over all. Through him we have peace. Then in verses 37 to 41, we have these core facts of the gospel. It's a rerun of Acts 2. The message he declared when the Spirit was poured out. Jesus died and rose again. He really did die on that cross for our sins. He really did rise again. And it's a well-attested fact Because we, the witnesses, have seen him. And now we're declaring it to all. We are to testify to the truth about him everywhere. And here's the thing that they're testifying. Interestingly, in verse 42b, he is judge of all. The living and the dead. Can you think of anyone outside those categories? I think that pretty much covers everyone. He is the judge of the living and the dead. And we need him then this universal application of the gospel comes in in verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. People who are posh find forgiveness because God's grace knows no bounds, right? People who are poor find forgiveness because God's grace knows no bounds. People who are Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, or Any other religion can find forgiveness in Christ because God's grace knows no bounds. Therefore, that needs to impact our lives and cut away all of our prejudices so that we might not only be free in preaching the gospel, but happily free, joyfully indiscriminate in our offer, our preaching of the gospel of grace. Some of us will mix well with those who are like us. That's all right. We built this. Most bridges are often built with people who are kind of like us, but it should not only be like that. The church teaches that. We have opportunities through our relationships, our networking relationships through each other, with each other, to meet people of other backgrounds and other faiths, etc. But some of us will have to move deliberately to reach another culture or another nation, another kind of person. Some of us will have to break through our own boundaries in order to do that. Some of us will do that locally, like Andy Primes do. 
moving into Gracemount with Sarah in order to plant a church there. A guy who's grown up in Charlotte Chapel, well-educated. He's a bright boy, right? Going off to plant a church in a poor area where there are various kinds of desperate needs, many of which, by his own admission, he's not really come across. But he's acclimatizing himself. He's educating himself and Sarah too to know how to reach those folks best in Gracemount. And some of you might go with him. We won't just do that locally, of course. We will do it, I hope, globally. Some of us must move to hard places. Some of us must go to places like Yemen and Iran. Places that we might never have dreamed of before. Because the call to global mission is still vital. And we must never take our eyes off that. Our prejudices make us think certain places are unreachable, don't they? If you think somewhere is unreachable, you're probably a little bit prejudiced against that area or that type of people. Well, that's wrong. Because God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. That's why we must be indiscriminate in preaching it. When Peter does that, it's phenomenal what they see. See life. These people receive the Holy Spirit. It is an echo of Pentecost right there before their eyes to the point that even the believers who went with Peter, the, by the way, did you see how they were described? Circumcised. The Jewish believers, they were astonished. The Holy Spirit's been poured out on these guys just as he was with us? Wow. And then what happens? Well, what should happen to everyone who believes the gospel? They were baptized. Peter thought, actually, if I don't baptize these guys, I'm going to be opposing God. That is quite a strong statement. They're baptized. And then what? They joined in fellowship with each other. They asked Peter to hang around for a few days. They figured out together what it means to be a church. What does what First Baptist Church in Caesarea look like now? It's brilliant. That's what happens when we recognize and understand that prejudices are a barrier. They need to be removed. God is indiscriminate in the offer of his grace. Therefore, we must be indiscriminate in the preaching of this grace. And when we do that, when we are that, we'll see people become believers. We'll see churches planted locally and globally. Prejudices need to be just removed, chucked in the bin. We see Ephesians 2 lived out. People who were once far away brought near. One new humanity being formed to live for the praise of his glorious grace. Dividing walls, bulldozed. God is just taking a wrecking ball to the Jew and Gentile divide. And it's brilliant because it's reached us and it's still reaching others. Well, I need to finish. I've got more to say, but that's okay. All people from every nation need to hear the gospel. The prejudices need to be removed. And even in this, if you want to think narrowly, in our multi-ethnic city that we live in, there is a phenomenal work that is possible. 
I praise God for the work that is done through our international cafe through IAF. I praise God that when, you know, I get to stand up here by God's grace and by God's grace alone. And when I look out, I see people of different backgrounds. I hear of the different ethnicities, different, different social class, all these people saved from all sorts of different situations. We need to share these stories more. Rather than talk about weather, who cares? It's always cold. Let's talk about the good things that stir us up to share the gospel. Because in this multi-ethnic city of ours, we can do a phenomenal work by God's grace. That's how the gospel gets to the ends of the earth. Are you stirred up? Are you prejudiced? You want to confess those? Now's a good time. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Why don't you take a moment in confession? If there are prejudices that you recognize, ask God to show you them. That he, he might help us root them out. And pray that God will help us to give him glory for his being indiscriminate in the offer of his grace and help us to preach it ourselves. Our Father, help us to see the utter folly of opposing you and your plans by building dividing walls, either in this church or between uh, people in this church and people who are different from them. Forgive us for petty prejudices. Help us to be the multi-everything unified body that you would have us be to love and praise you for the indiscriminate offer of your grace and be indiscriminate ourselves in preaching that gospel of grace because people need to hear it and you've called us to do it. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done so that everyone might know your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.